Tonight, if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5, verse, 9, uh, verse 21. 22, let's try that again. Galatians 5, 22, and uh, we'll read that for the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, continue the last two, fruit of the Spirit tonight, and uh, looking forward to this. I have to say, this has been uh, such an encouragement to me as I have studied this and looked at it. And you know what, I'm so thankful for what, when God works in our lives, He, he does something incredible. And uh, man, when we get an opportunity to manifest the fruit of the Spirit as you know, as we draw closer to the Lord, that opportunity and that blessing and that privilege and honor, uh, it's something to behold as God works in our lives. Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. As we think on these truths tonight, let's go to the Lord and ask for His blessing, and then we'll continue our study Now, looking at meekness and temperance tonight, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this evening. Our Father, I want to thank you for being our gracious and wonderful and amazing Savior. Uh, Father, I pray that you would uh, draw our hearts unto thee. I pray, Father, that you'd help me as I preach your holy word. And uh, Father, I pray that you would just uh, comfort our hearts, encourage us, strengthen us. Father, we need it. We need you. Father, we're nothing without you. And Father, I pray that you would just help us in every area of our lives. <coughs> Excuse me. Father, I just ask that you would uh, do a great work tonight. And so we yield it all to thee. We love you. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. My apologies. Thinking on this, we looked at love, which is an agape love. We looked at joy in the face of adversity. We looked at peace, uh, long-suffering, which is to bear up under being provoked for a long time. Uh, gentleness is a more soft, uh, uh, you know, being very gentle. And then goodness is kind of like gentleness, but a little bit more firm on that. And so we spoke about that last week. And some of the elemental fruit of the Spirit. They're all broken up, if you think about them, into threes. We have faith, and I spoke about that. And starting where we pick up, where we left off in meekness tonight. The word is a word not readily translatable into English, sometimes in one language, and you try to translate it from one language into another language, and there's not an equivalent in that language, and this is one of these cases. But uh, it is, uh, as you think on this, you know, the word gentleness has been suggested. However, uh, Aristotle gave a definition, and uh, he cited, he said, the midpoint, gentleness, or uh, meekness is the midpoint between excessive proneness to anger and incapacity for anger. But in English, the word meekness is often equated with weakness, but it is not a synonym. Meekness is not weakness. And uh, meek people, uh, you know, some, there's a common notion that if you're meek, then you're weak and lacking in strength. But that is not the case at all. Because our Lord was a meek of most above all men, and yet Jesus was not uh, weak by any figment of the imagination. And a meekness in the Bible really is a prerogative of strength. Because as we talk about it, here's, here's what meekness is. It is the attitude of the heart that accepts the Lord's dealings with us as good, perfect, and acceptable, and are not open for dispute or resistance. This idea of meekness, as you think on it, I'm accepting what God gives to me without 
the attitude of anger and frustration and questioning and all sorts of other emotions. I just simply take it and what God gives. I mean, it's just like the, it's a, it's a complete humility. We find in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus would say, look with me here, Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, we'll come back, but Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. Our very Lord, he says, in this idea of meekness, he says, take my yoke. Now a yoke here is obviously not an egg yoke. It's a yoke like what oxen would have in a field. They put them around their necks and uh, connected to that yoke around the neck would be... Uh, you know, some ropes or something like that, some stirrups, and, and they're pulling a plow. And Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest in your souls. And the Lord Jesus Christ's desire was, you know, as he lived here on earth, he had the ability to create a new galaxy. He had the ability to uh, expire this present earth. He had the ability to get rid of it all, and yet he allowed himself to go through all that he went through. You know, he chose to put himself at the complete disposal of the Father. He He said, I came to do the Father's will. I mean, he displays extraordinary power. He had the power, as we would find, to turn water into wine. No, it's not alcoholic. It would have been. He had the power to multiply loaves and fishes. And my daughter and I were reading about that this morning. He had the power to cleanse a leper. He had the power to command demons, hordes, to be gone out of that, you know, the legion. And he raised the dead. Jesus had unbelievable power. He was not a weak man. In John chapter 19, verse 11, and thinking about this, the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 19, 11, in Matthew already. Anyways, Matthew 19, 11, Jesus on trial. John 19, 11, I apologize, not Matthew, I apologize. John 19, 11. I was like, that doesn't seem right. I read it wrong. John 19, 11. So, you know, when Pilate threatens our, our Savior, Jesus looks him in the face I mean, Jesus answered in verse 11 of John 19, Jesus answered, Thou couldest have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. But he says, listen, Pilate, you don't have any power over me but what God's given to you. I mean, when the the Sanhedrin sent people to arrest him, all he had to say was, I am... And they fall backwards, John 18, 5 and 6. We can look at that, go back one chapter. They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth, uh, in verse 4, Jesus therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Who seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. As soon, as, soon then as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Jesus is saying, I am Jehovah. I mean, in the same sense, look at John chapter 10. I mean, he, he, he demonstrates really the truth of who he is, a declaration, John chapter 10, 17 and 18. When we think about Jesus being meek and lowly in heart, Jesus was not a weak man. He was not one that they just run roughshod over. 
In John chapter 10, verse 17, our Lord says, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. I mean, so again, this idea of meekness is not that you're like, oh, I'm just a doormat. I mean, John even tells us, Jesus, knowing that all things that you know, were, were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saying, saith, I thirst. I mean, on the cross, Jesus thirsted, but, you know, and, and when he says, when Jesus would say, it is finished, you know, when he says it's accomplished, he's saying it's finished. Jesus finishes all that he came to do, and, and then they cast lots for his clothing, and I mean, here he is on the cross, and yet he stays on that cross to fulfill what God had given him to do. He wasn't complaining and murmuring and trying to get out of it. He literally, he bowed his head, gave up the ghost when he died. So we must understand the meekness of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was, you know, to acquiesce, to, to give of your will to the one who possesses unlimited power. This is what we find. In Acts 2.23, the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. I mean, Jesus Christ said, I came to do my Father's will. And in that meekness, you said, I'm okay with whatever God sets before me. Jesus Christ would submit to the terrible indictments and the evils that others would do against him. Another individual in the scriptures who is greatly, who is a very meek man would be Moses. Look with me at Numbers chapter 12, verse 3. As God gives us a definition and, and really an exaltation of Moses, <clears throat> Moses wasn't always weak. But here he's commended, uh, Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, now the man Moses was very meek. This is Numbers chapter 12, verse 3. Now the man Moses was very meek. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. It says, above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. Think about this. Moses is noted as being the meekest man. The Hebrew word for meekness is to endure with submission what might be evaded. Or, in contrast to another Hebrew word, that means to bear what cannot be avoided. Moses wasn't always meek. We find that when he was in Egypt and he saw the taskmaster kill a, an Egypt, kill a Hebrew, he killed the taskmaster. Well, then he ran for his life, and God had to do something in his life while he was there on the backside of the desert for 40 years. I mean, when you th he was learned in all the wisdom. He had all the comforts and all the wealth of the Egyptians. Moses, who was mighty in words and deeds, the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter, uh, he had tremendous education, tremendous intellect, a good looks. I mean, and it even noted him there in the scriptures as a very, uh, you know, very handsome baby. It doesn't say that exact word, but he was a, a goodly child. He was handsome. But 40 years in the wilderness, on the backside, God has a way of getting our attention when we're in the wilderness to get a submissive spirit 
that would mark the many years of his ministry. Think about this. Moses, in his meekness, he would endure for many, many years the malicious tongues of the thousands upon thousands upon hundreds of thousands of Hebrews that would think, Moses, you brought us out in the desert to kill us. You don't know how many times, over and over and over again, Moses, you brought us out in the desert to kill us. Moses, you just wanted to be our king. Moses, you, 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 know, you brought us here to kill all of us. I mean, there's all sorts of accusations. He had to deal with it. He had to deal with you know, his own... He had a bad temper there. You know, and the temper of the people for up to 40 years... You know, he had learned at the burning bush that, you know, any old bush will do to accomplish the purpose of God. God used a bush out in the desert, and as long as that fire burned in that bush, it is not natural, but it was the fire of God, and God got a hold of Moses there. It drew him to a specific attention to the meekness of Moses, which was very personal. Meekness is I'm saying, God... You have all of me, and I'm not going to fight you. I'm okay with the trials that come. I'm okay with the battles that I face. Meekness is I, I want to honor the Lord. Moses would display such a Christ-likeness of character and a condition, you know, and really with the, the insults that he would face. Look with me at Numbers 12.10. In this passage of Scripture, well, let's, let's come through it. We'll read, come back and look at verse 1, Numbers 12, 1. And Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. Moses, his first wife Zipporah, dies. He marries this, Egyptian, uh, this uh, Ethiopian woman. And um, it tells us he was meek above all the men of the earth. And Miriam and, Mo and Aaron, they're like, hey, we can do exactly what you can. Moses, you're nothing special. And in their speech, verse 2, and they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not spoken also by us? And the Lord heard it. God says, you know, Miriam and Aaron, they get their pride lifted up into a position of leadership, thinking they're equal with Moses. And God shows them, you're not. I, Moses is my selected leader. Moses isn't better than you, but he's the one that I've chosen to lead the people. But, and he shows, I mean, in the face of his own family coming against him and, and the insults that he would face. In verse 9, actually, uh, verse 7, My servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all mine house. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark speeches. And the similitude of the Lord shall he behold, wherefore then were ye not afraid to speak against my servant Moses. So God is now defending Moses. I mean, his own siblings who have been leaders on Israel, but he's putting them in their place. God is. 
And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. And the clouds, verse 10, departed from off the tabernacle. Behold, Miriam became leprous, white as snow. And Aaron looked upon Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said unto Moses, Alas, my Lord, I beseech thee, lay not the sin upon us, wherein we have done foolishly, and wherein we have sinned. Let her not be as one dead, of whom the flesh is half consumed, when he cometh out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried to the Lord, saying, Heal her now, O God, I beseech thee. The Lord said unto Moses, If her father but spit in her face, should she not be the same seven days? Let her be shut out from the camp seven days, and after that let her uh, be received in again. And Miriam was shut out from the camp seven days, and the people journeyed not till Miriam was brought in again, and afterward the people removed from Hazareth and pitched in the wilderness of Paran. What did Moses do? He could have said, You got what you deserved. <laughs> Well, I guess teaches you, don't mess with me. I don't find Moses doing that. When the very ones that are speaking ill of him, and now God judges them in great turmoil, Moses cries out to God saying, Lord, would you please heal her? We don't find her saying, Moses, I'm so sorry, will you forgive me? We don't say that. We see Aaron saying, Lord, Aaron, you know, Aaron's like, uh, you know, don't lay this sin upon us. We've, we messed up. We don't find Miriam saying anything. I mean, maybe she did. I, we don't know. The scripture doesn't give us. She could have. The only reason Aaron escaped Miriam's punishment was because he was Israel's high priest. It was unthinkable that as such he should be contaminated with leprosy because Aaron, again, Aaron was the high priest. So if he had leprosy, that's a very bad day for him. So God spared him, but Miriam got, she got the leprosy. And in the meekness, rather than trying to revenge someone who's hurt you, he ends up pleading for God to do a work and heal her. Now Moses failed in the area of his greatest strength. In the end, he was kept out of the promised land for losing his temper and speaking hastily with his lips. Look with me at Numbers chapter 20, verse 3. We'll read verses 3 through 12. What a sad, you think about Moses' life, you're like, he lost his temper one time. One time. Is it really that bad? Well, it was when the leadership position he was in because of the damage that it did, because what, <clears throat> what uh, Moses did actually destroyed was the very figure that Jesus Christ is our rock, and, and 1 Corinthians deals with that. But in Numbers chapter 20, verse 3, And the people chode with Moses and spake, saying, Would God that we had died when our brethren died before the Lord? And why have you brought up the congregation of the Lord in this wilderness, that we and our cattle should die there? And wherefore have you made us to come up out of Egypt to bring us into this evil place? It is no place of seed or of figs or of vines or of pomegranates, neither is there any water to drink. And Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly into the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And they fell upon their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared unto them. And the Lord spake unto Moses, Take the rod, and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water. And thou shalt bring uh, to them water out of the rock, so uh, thou shalt give the congregation their beasts drink. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he had commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock, and he said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels! 
Must we fetch you water out of this rock? And in this very instance, Moses puts himself in the place of God as a provider of water, and he makes a terrible mistake. Moses lifted up his hand with his rod, he smote the rock. Twice. The water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, Because ye believe me not to sanctify me, the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore ye shall not bring this congregation the land which I have given them. Psalm 106.33 tells us on this same incident, because they provoked his spirit so that he spake unadvisedly with his lips. He gets angry, and now Moses puts himself in God's place of judgment. And he loses the ability to get in the promises and blessings of God. We think, I will be the one to judge. It's not my place. God will. God has a strong place. I mean, he killed Ananias and Sapphira. Boom, gone. You know, meekness as a fruit of the Spirit is much discounted by many people. But it is a trait eminently cultivated and to be cultivated. You know, Matthew 5, 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Moses gave up that meekness, and he, if you want to think about it, he lost the earth. He was not going into the promised land. No quality could be regarded as less desirable. No one wants to be, oh, I'm meek, I'm, you know, you're the meekest man. Ah, he's just a weakling. Ah, all sorts of things. When you think about Alexander, Genghis Khan, Stalin, Hitler, Napoleon, A word to them is, oh, they're the meekest ruler I've ever seen. No, (laughs) hardly. Arrogant, yes. Ruthless, yes. When Jesus presents himself as the king of Israel, what does he do? He rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. A donkey. He doesn't ride on a big white stallion. Matthew 21, 4 and 5, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Sion, behold, thy king cometh unto thee meek, and sitting upon an ass and a colt, the foal of an ass. There was Britain's general, Lord Allenby, he won a decisive victory that wrested Palestine and Jerusalem from the despoiling land, a hand of the Turks. The day came for his triumphal entry into the city and Here's General Lord Allenby. He rides up to the gate on his horse. He gets off his horse at the city gate. He bears his head and he walks humbly into the city and he says, and he was asked, why are you doing this? It says, you know, why he had ridden in the city as the Kaiser had on his state visit to Jerusalem years before. Lord Allenby replied, he said, it was not fitting for me to ride a horse where my Lord was content to ride a donkey. Jesus Christ could have come with all of the trumpet sounding of his grandeur. And yet he rides on an animal not seen for its strength. Stubbornness, yes. Strength, no. He rides on a donkey. And Jesus had submitted in meekness with whatever God gave, I'm okay with it. 
I'm not going to find it. I'm not going to, you know, go all angry and frustrated and irritated and all these other words that may come, all these other emotions. He just accepted what God gave. Moses did for the most part, as God gave him such a commendable reputation. The last thing that we come to in our Galatian Fruit of the Spirit study is temperance. It comes from the word meaning strength. Many times people think about temperance as an abstaining from alcohol, but that's a very limited view on this, too restricted. The word is sometimes rendered self-control. Now, self-control, we can... You, you can use it as self-control, but in this sense, even lost people can be very controlled over their emotions. There's some lost people, they show you know, significant more uh, self-control and self-discipline than may even a believer. It means more than this, as the virtue is practiced by the unregenerate and even by the carnal worldly Christians some, of their, some areas of their lives. Look with me at 1 Corinthians 9.25 kind of a definition. I'm look, looking further at this. First Corinthians 9.25 Temperate or temperance. He's speaking about a race or athletics. First Corinthians 9.25 The Bible tells us, and every man that striveth for the mastery, much like you're striving for perfection, striving for gold in a, in a sporting event, striveth for the mastery is temperate in how many things? All things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. He's talking about athletes as they prepare for events. They, they, you know, they, they go through a very strict diet they go through a very strict weightlifting and all this regimen to prepare themselves for this event. He says, you know, that which is corruptible, right? That which is, you know, over a long 50 years, you have that, if you win gold, your medallion or your award is going to tarnish, it's going to wear. I mean, you could put it in a chamber where it slows it down, but given enough time, it's going to wear away. But he's talking about, as a Christian, I'm striving for the mastery. You're striving for the mastery in all things. Self-control in all things. I mean, it's a rigid regimen. 1 Corinthians 7. Go with me back there. 1 I mean, you think about this restraint and this temperance. I say, therefore, to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I. But if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. So this idea here, if, you're, if it's very difficult and you have a desire for a romantic relationship with the opposite gender, then God says, go ahead and marry. But he said, if you can, you can stay single, it's fine. I mean, if, if God wants you to stay single, praise the Lord. If God wants you to marry, that's great. But, I mean, the Apostle Paul here, you know, if that self-control is going to lead you into sin, God says, hey, it's okay to marry. But the self-control is in all things. 
keeping your passions under control, either in a romantic sense, God's given boundaries for romantic relations within the bounds of marriage. When Paul would stand before Felix and Drusilla, he made his great defense, his first one, before a Roman governor. He not only sought to clear himself of these charges with which he was innocent, but they, they fabricated him. And he goes after the soul of Felix. Acts 24, 25. In Acts chapter 24, verse 25. Here is the Apostle Paul speaking to Felix and Drusilla, his wife, which was a Jewish, verse 24 tells us. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. The Apostle Paul is saying, listen, reasons of righteousness, pleasing to the God, doing what is right, temperance, hey, controlling the emotions, controlling your mind, controlling your thoughts. And, and that's a battle. It's a battle every day to control our thoughts, to bring our thoughts into submission. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, verse 13. 2 Corinthians 10, 5, excuse me. And, and bringing every thought into captivity, to bring these thoughts into captivity for self-control. God's called us to temperance, not losing it, not blowing up. The fruit of the Spirit, as we walk with Christ, you know, we're going to have the aid of God's Spirit to help us to control ourselves and our passions and desires. There was an Emperor Claudius who was noted for a man of his cruelty and his treachery. Drusilla was the daughter of King Herod Agrippa I. She'd walked out on her husband, Azissus, king of Emesa, in order to marry Felix. And here are these individuals that are struggling. And the Apostle Paul knows of her, the adulterous affair that's happened. He knows of the immorality. He says, listen, you didn't control yourself. You're not righteous before God. I want you to think about this of our precious Lord and Savior. Look with me at Matthew 26. Matthew chapter 26. Temperance, which is a self-control of all your passions. There is no greater example of temperance than our own Savior, Jesus Christ. In the face of trial of His own people against Him. His own countrymen. Jesus represented the greatest of self-control. Matthew chapter 26, verse 59. Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death, but found none, yea, thought many witness, many, <clears throat> yea, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. At the last came two false witnesses and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. 
And the high priest arose and said, Answers thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? But Jesus held his peace. And the high priest answered and said, him, I adjure thee by the living God, that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. I mean, they're bringing his own words against him to destroy him. He's on trial. I'm just thinking, if I'm in Jesus' place, I'm thinking this is the most corrupt, ruthless government, and these are a bunch of lily-livered, weakling politicians. And I'm going to be like, judge, these guys are a bunch of liars. They're a bunch of false, you know, scoundrels. That's what we would normally do when someone's bringing such fallacious or such arguments that are in such, I mean, they're so false, so wrong, such a lie against your character, and you say nothing. He held his peace. Let's look a little bit farther. farther. Verse 64, But Jesus said unto them, Thou hast said, Nevertheless I say unto you, Hereafter you shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power, and coming in the clouds of heaven, then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He hath spoken blasphemy. He, he tears his clothes because Jesus is now saying, I'm God. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now ye have heard his blasphemy. What think ye? They answered and said, He is guilty of death. Then did they spit in his face and buffeted him. They punched him. And others smote him with the palms of their hands, slapping his face, punching all sorts of things he endured saying, prophesy unto us, thou Christ, who is it that smote thee? And here he is blindfolded, and they're punching him, and they're slapping him. They're making all fun of him. Oh, Jesus, ha, 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 who hit you? Whack! Oh, Jesus, who hit you? And they just keep doing this over and over and over again. He's all bloodied as he's being beaten. And Jesus had the self-control. He could have called the angels. He could have struck them down with lightning. He could have killed their bodies and just be like, you're dead, you're dead, you're dead, you're dead. But he doesn't do anything. They stood and vehemently accused him. and In the meekness to do the Father's will and in the temperance to withstand it, he says nothing. Luke chapter 23. Our society has lost a touch of temperance. The assertion of my rights, my ways, when the very Lord who bought us and loved us He was willing to do it the Father's way. Luke 23, verse 8. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad, for he was desirous to see him of a long season, because he had heard many things of him. And he hoped to have seen some miracles done by him. They want to see a spectacle, the entertainment of Jesus. Then he questioned with him in many words, but he answered him nothing. And the chief priests and scribes stood vehemently accused him. And Herod, with his men of war, set him at naught and mocked him and arrayed him in gorgeous robe and sent him again to Pilate. I mean, they like, Jesus, do a miracle for us. He could have. 
and self-control to not try to vindicate himself or try to get himself, oh, wow, look at the powerful man. They've seen it. They've heard it. They've known what Jesus has done. They've, seen, they've known about Lazarus who rose from the dead. They, they, I mean, all of this stuff is known, but they want a spectacle of entertainment before them. They want the circus of the healings and all that stuff right before them. Jesus says nothing. It's torment after torment after torment. Nothing would disturb Jesus Christ's self-control. The calm poise with which he confronted Pilate. He seldom even broke silence upon that which he was even dealing with. The scourging, the continual mockery, the unjust and cowardly sentence the betrayal by one of your own close friends, the preference of a convicted thief for an innocent Jesus, only to send him to crucifixion. After all the love that Jesus had given to the people and all the people he had touched their lives, they still yell, crucify him. And the ones who were there with him the closest, they're not on trial with him. It's not worth it. I'm out of here. My, my own disciples, my friends don't love me. My own people that I've invested my life into, the people that have seen the 5,000 loaves, you know, the 5,000 fed and the five loaves and two fishes and, you know, the 4,000 fed and, and the demoniac healed and, and the woman healed the issue of blood and all these various things. It's not enough. I give up. I'm not going to that cross for those la lazy, no good, nothing scoundrels. We don't hear those words. He goes to Calvary. He submits to those soldiers who nail those nails into his hands and feet. And then I think probably in Luke 23, 34, then said Jesus, Next verse 33, when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified, and the malefactors, one on the right hand, the other on the left, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. Here is our Lord praying for the forgiveness of those who have just put him through the ultimate ordeal. His mind, his heart, and his will were under the complete control of the Spirit. Right down to the moment he died and bowed his head. Temperance, self-control, it is a fruit of the Spirit. It is not a result of the mind, the emotions, and the senses being brought under the control of the human will. It is the result of the human will being brought under the control of the Holy Spirit of God. It is impossible to be temperate apart from the Spirit of God. It's impossible to be meek. Faith, all of these fruit of the Spirit. If we don't submit, we have to submit 
A delightful person to meet is an individual who's under the power of the Spirit of God, manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. This person is loving, full of joy, calm, peaceful, patiently submissive to God at all times, under all circumstances, gentle, good, dependable, strong, and above reacting when provoked. I'm telling you, when God gets a hold of your life and you give God control of your life, you don't hold on. You don't say, it's my life. You submit and surrender. You too can manifest the fruit of the Spirit. You might be saying, well, I don't want to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, well then let's go back and read verse 19 of Galatians chapter 5. I'll be done here shortly. Galatians 5, 19. Isn't it pretty humbling as you think about the fruit of the Spirit here? You're just like, oh, God's still working on me. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. I don't want the fruit of the Spirit. I don't want to do it God's way. I don't want to submit. I don't want to surrender. Okay, let's go to verse 19. This is what you're going to do. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, which is without restraint and moral bounds, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Although which I tell you before, as I've also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. God says that's going to be in your life. You're like, ah! Why is there so much strife? Why is there so much drama? Because you're working in the works of the flesh. and You're not yielded to the Spirit. It's not until you yield to the Spirit and abide in Christ, John chapter 15, that you can manifest the fruit of the Spirit. It's exciting. And we're like, I hope that the fruit of the Spirit and what we have here is the aspiration or the desire, uh, like a, focus, a future desire, the aspirations. That's what I want. Who doesn't want love? Who doesn't want joy? Peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, temperance, meekness. Who doesn't want that in their life? And it's readily available. If you'll yield your body, your mind, your emotions, your will to the Spirit of God. But as long as you cling on to your control of situations and don't submit and surrender, my friend, you're going to be stuck in verses 19, 20, and 21. And you'll keep on repeating those very same things over and over and over again. If you're here this evening and you've never accepted Christ, my friend, you'll never know what it is to have the fruit of the Spirit because you don't have the Spirit of God. You know, we're all sinners. All of us are evil, all of us are wicked, all of us deserve hell. And my desire tonight, and God's desire, God's not willing that any should perish, God's desire for you tonight is to call out to God, Lord, I am a sinner, and Lord, I put Jesus on that cross. It's my sins I'm guilty for putting him there. I know I deserve hell, and Father, would you please forgive me of all my sins? I'm guilty. 
and be my Savior, my friend, if you'll do that, God will forgive you. And Christian, as we talked about meekness tonight, you just readily accept what God gives you. You're not trying to squirm. You're not trying to find a loophole or detour. You're trying to do it God's way, God's balance. And then in temperance, the self-control to not let your emotions and passions out of control, you'll just submit and do what God's called you to do. As you think on these truths tonight, if I could have Mrs. Pat come forward for a time of invitation, please. Next week, we'll look at, you know, really how we can cultivate this fruit, and we'll talk about that as we move forward, but the fruit of the Spirit is readily available to all believers. It doesn't matter your economic level. It doesn't matter your academic level. What matters is of a complete surrender and submission of your life to the Lord. Without a demand, I'll do it my way. I'll do it God's way. As the music plays this evening, and heads bowed and eyes closed, I trust that you just pray and talk with the Lord, however he may have spoken to you this evening. Imagine what Jesus could do with just 12 disciples. As it was said, turn the world upside down. What would happen in my own life and others if we would just submit and surrender and manifest the fruit of the Spirit? What could God do with such a life? accepted Christ as your Savior this evening, I encourage you, please, don't leave without settling that most important of all decisions. In just a moment, we'll conclude in prayer and come to our prayer time. If you need to talk after the service, I'd be happy to speak with you. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this evening. Our Father, I thank you for uh, the privilege. <laughs> and Lord, the idea of meekness is not something that we have to figure out. You've already told us how to do it. You've already shown us how to do it. You've given examples for good and examples for bad. Father, this is one of those challenging ones because so often in our own lives we like to assert our own authority. But Father, we need to be under the submission of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, yielded to the Spirit, abiding in Christ. Our Father, I pray tonight that you'd help work in our lives to follow Thee. Help us in meekness, help us in temperance, to have a self-control even while others uh, may be seeking to provoke. Others may be speaking ill. Father, I pray that you do a work that only you can do. I love you, Lord. Father, I pray for each and every person tonight. I pray that you'd help them in their lives. We thank you for all that you'll do. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen.